I, you know, I've got to agree with Joe from Biggest Geekus. I, I just don't, the more I think about it, I, I'm just not okay doing Christianity in a game. And, you, you know, the thing is, you, you look and the liturgy and things from the Eastern Orthodox Church are the same as they were well before Arthurian times. So, yeah, I, I, I'm just, you, you want a set of Pendragon books? That's a very good point about uh, it's kind of the right. It's the fantasy that's using the, the certain tropes in it, and then we're emulating the fantasy, not the actual religion. So that that is definitely a difference. And um, yeah, I agree with you. I'm I'm curious, you know, also if somebody calls in with more info on Pendragon. I have uh, the the system. I got it on the Kickstarter. I never got to use it. I've only played it the one time at at, at uh, Gen Con. Uh, they ran a quick like session for for myself and a couple of my friends. And I also got the additional book or the additional game that, can't, that was kickstarted called Paladin, which is, I guess, uh, you know, the same system, but about Paladins and in France, I guess. So anyways, yeah, I mean, I'm curious. I'll be listening to see who calls in uh, about Pendragon. Uh, yes, and that makes three of us who are interested but haven't uh, got a lot of experience with this system. That is you, Daniel, me, and Jason of Nerds Variety Cast. That was Jason, uh, everyone that you heard at the top of the podcast, uh, followed by Daniel of Bandit's Keep, both calling in to talk about Pendragon and its treatment of religion as a part of the game. Regarding your curiosity, be curious no more, because this is the Pendragon episode. Today on the Confessions of a Wee Tim Spushi, we have our host, Rob, otherwise known as Minion, calling in and talking about his experience with the Pendragon system and his interpretation of how religion factors into its rules. In advance of the calls, Rob, thank you very, very much for calling in. Thank you for sharing your experience and your insight. Uh, I know that, and listeners, this is a bit of a behind the scenes, we had wanted to, or I had wanted to, set up some time where we could get together and talk about it face-to-face on the screen, and then kind of more of a back and forth, but I'm a bit of a hard time getting a hold of at the moment. Uh, That's entirely my fault uh, for reproducing. And as I hear some complaining in the background, uh, take it away, Rob. Hello, Taylor. This is Minion, also known as Rob from Confessions of a Wee Timorous Bushy. Okay, Pendragon. Yeah, one of my favorite games of all time, full stop. So, um, religion in there, uh, it breaks down into, uh, let's see, the, I think it's Christianity. This is how it was, at least probably the third uh, edition, second edition when I was playing it. Christianity, Judaism, Islam, and paganism. Okay, so pagans are all lumped in. So you've got the the Celtic and the, uh, I guess, yeah, the Anglo-Saxon and the, the Nordic um, pagans are all just lumped in there. And in general, um, these are just backgrounds for your knight, okay? 
So you you have you can play a Judaic knight, you can a Jewish knight, you can play a, a Muslim knight. Now it's probably worth pointing out that the each of these religions is is treated very uh, uh, is is treated without preference. Let's put it that way. So the Islamic knight, the Muslim knight, is a paragon of Islam. Uh, as is the Judaic knight. There's no sense of one being better than the other or one being good, one being bad. So that's really important to, to state from the beginning. Somewhat reminiscent of uh, Ogier the Dane and Karahu of Mauritania, getting a bit of Three Hearts, Three Lions vibes, which is great. Uh, I love that book. Probably fewer trolls in Pendragon, but I leave that to my more experienced viewers, listeners. Um, another point that's probably worth mentioning is that Pendragon isn't historically set. Okay, so it 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 blends different elements. It blends the historical dark ages um, of of post sort of Romano Britain. You know, once once the Romans have left Britain. So it's drawing on that. It's also drawing from an early uh, Iron Age Britain. And it's drawing on, um, so yeah, that Celtic early Iron Age uh, Britain and Ireland. And it's drawing on um, the sources from the medieval period. So you, from the um, Romantic, the, the French, the Breton, um, the, the English uh, romance tales. It's also drawing from... Um, the, the tales from the, the Mabinogion, from, you know, the, the various sort of um, very vaguely uh, Celtic, the Celtic tales um, where Arthur may or may not appear in. And finally, it's, it's drawing from the histories, the so-called sort of histories of the medieval period. So uh, Thomas, uh, Thomas and Mallory, of course, is a romance, sorry. Um, it, the, the history of Britain, who's that by? Um, it's drawing from the Anglo-Saxon chronicles. There is a book a series actually, A History of Britain, written by Simon Scamma to accompany a series of BBC documentaries, but in that Pendragon was first published in 1985 and the documentary series ranges from 2000 to 2002. Presumably, the History of Britain here referenced is the 1670 volume by John Milton, English poet more widely known for Paradise Lost. The Anglo-Saxon Chronicle is, of course, a collection of nine fragmentary manuscripts dating to the 9th century and the reign of Alfred the Great, which serve historians as a lone, albeit biased, account of England between the departure of the Romans and the Norman Conquest in the 11th century under William the Conqueror. So the result is you have this mythic Britain um, set in the Iron Age, but where civilization has reached this kind of... Um, High, high kind of mid late medieval um, technology or s level of civilization under the rule of King Arthur. So that's something worth bearing in mind. So how does religion work? They're going back to the original topic. So religions are based around, or they focus on certain parts of binary um, passions or virtues. So in Pendragon, you have. Um, can't remember the true names, but the, the, you have passions. So you, you might have chastity, chastity versus lustful. You might have um, brave versus cowardly. Cereal, then milk, versus milk, then cereal. And so on and so forth. 
So, for example, our Christian may see that uh, chastity is a virtue, whereas the pagan might see, um, might see, uh, yeah, lust, the opposite, as a virtue. And you have other th- virtues, which, so, for example, recklessness might be a virtue amongst pagans. Um, uh, charity might be a virtue. I forget the actual, ver- um, the, the various passions, so it's unfair of me to talk about here. But th- as I said, th- there's no, probably the, the pagans are, are treated um, the most difficult. They're very perhaps cut out pagans. Um, that might upset some people, but I don't think, yeah, I mean, I, I remember looking at the Judaic night or the Muslim night and thinking, oh, I'd really like to play one of those because um, they were cool. Thinking about it, that may be intentional to preserve the archetype. So in the Pendragon world, you have, and I speak to Arthurian world, not necessarily Pendragon, because again, I do not own the book, nor have I played it, but you have Abrahamic versus European. Lumping the pagans together may be an intentional byproduct, less of ignorance on the part of the authors and more a direction for the game where the Christians would be aware of the Jews and the Muslims, whereas they wouldn't necessarily be educated on how the pagans operate. So it may just seem that the pagans are all kind of uh, glammed together and glossed over with these kind of interflowing theologies, creating a forced perspective. But there again, I also might be talking out of my backside. Continue. Um, So religion, does it work in role-playing games? Well, I'm not sure. Um, But I think in Pendragon it does. I think it's an essential part of Pendragon. Um, If you're playing it in that setting, the setting that's... uh, that it supports um the religion is exciting the passions the game is about passions it's not about merely fighting and stuff and being in armor it's it's about being challenged um you know if do you have to be courageous or is it better to bottle out are you supposed to run away um if you're a lustful knight um can you can you um, control yourself and manage to uh, um, avoid um, insulting your your uh, a lord that is housing you and and being kind to you and running off with his wife or something? I mean, these are the 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 parts of the game that are focused on. So apologies there. It's a very rough and ready sort of um, look at Pendragon as I remember it from many many years earlier. Um, these rules, these kind of virtues and passions and so on are now being used in the latest edition of RuneQuest. Um, and they're also used in Mithras as well, which is like RuneQuest 6. Now, what's exciting about that is you can use these instead of alignments um, and they give you something concrete to form a character around. They can be tested and if you go to the extremes, they give you advantages, but they also act as a disadvantage because you start having to be bound by that virtue and you have to embody it almost fanatically. So that's all I have to say. Hopefully that is of some interest to somebody. Oh, that is very Andersonian, very OD&D right there, specifically alignment as religion or alignment in a cosmic scale. To hearken again to Three Hearts and Three Lions, uh, the main character is Roman Catholic, and he has a 
a Saracen accompany him. They represent, in large part, the side of the law, not necessarily being the only lawful characters, but being primarily concerned with law and fighting against the chaotic forces of Morgan le Fay and the elves. While the passions and virtues do seem more individualized, it's a generic concept, but it's a question of whether you, the character, can handle what's going on around you and conduct yourself accordingly. That's okay. That, that's just a different mechanism to support a different understanding of gameplay, where, where there's nothing really to say you can't have the inner conflict in a D&D type game, just so long as it keeps in perspective and fits into the tone of the campaign you're playing. So, was that interesting? It was to me at least, and hopefully it was for Daniel and Jason, who called in at the top of the show. And that puts us at the point where we have talked about everything I had intended to talk about in this episode. Again, thank you, Rob, for calling in with that elaborate and extensive commentary. I appreciate what you said when you said the experience you had may be a couple decades old, but that's okay because experiences age like wine. I think this is a good episode. It's a short and sweet and to the point, but... Uh, we're at the 13 or 13 and a half minute mark, so I figure we have time for one more call in. I've got a couple good ones from Daniel that I'm saving, so I'm going to make a whole episode out of that talking about my plans for running a game in the coming year and how I'm both excited and hopeful in terms of implementing. To take us out, let's hear what Jason has to say of Nerds Variety Cast regarding party composition. Hey, Taylor, listen to your responses to my call-ins right now, a Journey with Jason episode. And just want to say you're doing a great job. Really appreciate what you're saying. As far as party composition, I used bad terminology there. I don't think it's a necessity for almost any game, but I think it's very helpful in the additions of D&D after OD&D. You, you know, if you don't have a thief and you don't have a hireling who's a thief and you go into a dungeon... Well, there are some things you're going to have a hard time doing, right? Um, now, all that depends on the DM. If the DM is going to let other players talk through searching for traps and disarming traps, that's great. But rules as written, it it's kind of hard to you know get around a trap-filled dungeon without a thief. Not saying you can't do it. And there are spells that will get you around that too if you have spellcasters to take the right spell. So there are definitely ways around it. So it's not a must-have, but it's definitely a, a very nice thing to have the balance party. Agreed. And I think I may have alluded to that agreement when I mentioned playing in uh, Hobbes' Kalmata game how much different the experience was, at least when we had a magic user, a decent magic user, pop into the party uh, compared to what we had been doing before. And eh, that's comparable, I think, in terms of having a balanced party and how beneficial it is to life. It's better to have people in your life who can complement your weaknesses and benefit from your strengths and, as a byproduct, produce bigger, better things together. In that sense, thank you for calling in. Uh, Everybody who calls in, you are complimenting this podcast and making it into something worth listening to uh, collaboratively. With that in mind, uh, I've got two little collaborators uh, behind me who are taking this opportunity to throw some stuff onto the ground and make a mess of our living room. So from here, I will get back to parenting 
Thank you, everybody who called in for calling in. Thank you, everybody who is listening uh, or who has made it this far for making it this far. And between now and when I talk to you again, delve on. Quick Square Ring Mail Podcast is an independently owned and operated product released for educational and informative purposes under the Totally Steal This license, which is kind of like Creative Commons, except f- licensing. Segments recorded within a vehicle are recorded using a Bluetooth hands-free device in conjunction with local vehicular safety legislation. The music for the Clear Square Ring Mail Podcast is Gold Coffee by Michael Ramirez C, retrieved from Mixkit.co and used under the Mixkit royalty-free music license. Sound effects used in the Clear Square Ring Mail Podcast are also retrieved from Mixkit.co and used in accordance with the Mixkit-free sound effects license. Clear Square Ring Mail does not ascribe to nor endorse views or opinions expressed by call-ins, guests, or even the host, unless you think they're awesome, and thus does not assume any liability regarding the consumption or distribution of this podcast. By listening to the Clear Square Ring Mail Podcast, you agree to these provided terms. Parties with questions regarding these terms, conditions, or releases are encouraged to reach out to Clear Square email at the prescribed methods provided on the clearest wearing email blog. Parties dissatisfied with these terms, conditions, or releases are encouraged to go suck an egg.